I can't see your dogs. Um, they live with my dad, so because I, ha- I can't really go and see my dad because of lockdowns. So. Ah, yeah. ah, okay, that that sucks. I forgot you guys are still yeah, in the lockdown phase. <laughs> so I have uh, three Balinese puppies. Um, they, I, I kind of got sucker into adopting them because um, uh, a friend of mine approached me and said, "Hey, you know, I have." I fostered two really cute puppies, and I, she showed me the picture. There's adorable. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I've been following your um, tweets for ages, and I've seen this evolution as they grow in terms of, like, <laughs> it's amazing because um, I think, was it your fiance who made you adopt the last one? I can't remember. No, she actually, she was against it. Oh, okay. So, so she, she's like, no, no, you don't want dogs. Uh, so I'm like, you, you know what? You're right. I like my, you know, lifestyle unattached. Uh, at that time, you know, was am I still, was I still single? But I know I was already dating my fiance. But so I, I'm like, yeah, no, sorry. Um, but then the girl called me up a couple of days later. She's like, oh, but we ha- can you do me a big favor, Carl? We have a big emergency. Uh, we found a family of water monitors. I don't know if you know what water monitors are. Or these are like huge lizards, like almost like a Komodo oh, dragon. Monitors. Yeah, monitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yes. what they are. So, yeah. They're like, yes. um, they're, they literally look like dragons, kind of. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And so they found a whole family of them living on their ceiling. And, and so oh. they, they were really scared. And those things will eat puppies like nothing. Um, so she, eat humans as well. That's... Probably, 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 maybe. I don't know how big those things are, but. Uh, uh, the, the the girl she's part she's mom so maybe that's why she's scared and so she asked me okay can you do us a big favor just you know foster them for a couple of weeks because our new we have to evacuate and our new apartment they don't want to take, take dogs so I thought well okay I'm just fostering right I mean like it's like <laughs> I can always give them back <laughs> so I I took them in and you know the rest is history <laughs> and now now and then that was um that was two it was two brothers uh their litter mates and then a month later another stray puppy came into our neighborhood and and she would just hide under the under the car and, like she's scared to come out but whenever I walk my puppies she will sneak out and walk with us so i thought okay <laughs> what's oh, one more right <laughs> what's yeah. I, yeah i don't know i get really scared of lizards especially like i can understand why because in australia yeah. we got like these we just get animals just coming in the backyard all the time when i used to live in my house like you, your kangaroo is really close to the city you've probably been anyway so you know yeah I I never been to Australia. Oh really? <laughs> no. Uh, I think mean, Bali is pretty much Australia, as we oh. say. <laughs> oh Sorry. yeah, pretty much. Before the before the lockdown started, I I remember when I first landed in Bali in July 2019. Um, I I stayed in Changu, this very touristy part of the Bali, and when I got there, I. I was very disappointed, actually, because it's just a, uh, it, it's just like I'm like, is this Bali or is this like Bali under occupation? Because it's it's just like foreign tourists everywhere, like Aussies everywhere, um, and all the local people are the people who work in the service industry, you know, like in the restaurants and yeah, and they they don't have a good rep in Australia. Those um, <laughs> I don't know, we just because we were talking about that this um on on the podcast. I, I run 
because we apparently they're like ex-retired policemen who have really good pensions. Yeah. So they just live off the pensions to live there. But a lot of yeah. them pretend they're entrepreneurs, but they don't actually produce <laughs> anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Um. Anyway, so let me introduce you. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so okay, welcome to another episode of the Silk and Steel podcast. I am your host Carl Za. Today we have a very special episode with a very special guest, all the way from Melbourne. Yes. Yeah, Danny Lockdown. Uh, very honored to be on the Silk and Steel podcast. Um, big fan. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so I um, found you, uh, Mr. Uh, Timor. I, I, you know, your Twitter handle is Steel Muslim. I, you know, I, I will introduce you as uh, as uh, a, a Twitter personality because that's where I first found you. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you tweet a lot about Definitely. China, <laughs> about <much>. yes, <laughs> about China and about. Australia, you know, living in Australia, I just recently heard uh, your first podcast, I believe, and and then I heard your voice for the first time. I was like, oh my god, that was so like that was like the most Aussie accent I ever heard. <laughs> you can't hear a um, Asian tinge because usually you can you can tell when someone's there's an ethnic background, but I but an accent. Uh huh. You can't. Can you tell it or? No, no, no. For me, oh. it just sounds like Ozzy as fuck. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Well, I, I, you, I tell you, you sound a little bit different from my other um, Australian friend, David. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. He he teaches in uh, China now in uh, Yunnan on the border with Myanmar, and I know I notice you guys talk a little different, but I just think because that's because he's from Perth. You know, like a ah, different... that could be uh, why. Um, I yeah. think there's like three different um, Australian accents. There's like the sort of the rural, the sort of like the British sounding one. Then there's like sort of the the one you found in Stephen, like yeah, Crocky. You know that that one? That's in the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know who speaks like that. Dee, that's all we know in America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People always. I mean, it, it's pretty weird perception though, because when I'm in China, they they all think of Australia like oh, oh coffee, uh, milk powder. Vitamins, yeah. beef, that's all I ever get. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was some kind of, uh, or, or was in New Zealand, there were some kind of teddy bears that they were selling in China. That's Tasmania. Made, uh, yeah, oh, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. See, I'm, uh, I'm up to date with Chinese consumer culture. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, anyway, so you are a Chinese, uh, you are an Australian with Chinese descent. Um, and you know, I haven't met many of those uh, of you, so I I invite you on the show to really talk about your experience growing up Chinese in Australia, and and we can also get into a little bit, you know, the the, the raging Sinophobia that start to emerge in the last few years. Um, but be, before that, uh, I just wanted to get the name correct because you, I know you go by Timur uh, on Twitter, but I, I, I deduce that from, uh, I deduce your Chinese last name from that. So I figure you, you, you know, your last name must be Tie. And, and then you also said that your ancestor came from Manchuria. So, so I'm going to call you Lao Tie. That's, that's, that's like a very colloquial term to address people. Should like we explain it, uh, what it means in a Northeast sort of slang? Yeah, yeah. do you want to explain it? Do you want uh, to... It's kind of like a, yo, 
yo lolty and like yo bro yo sis it's kind of like um yo mate good day mate it's like very close for endearment yeah. endearing term because i'm a very close yeah so like so metal, as close as metal yeah like <laughs> feuded by, fused by metal yeah it's it's a good name because like a lot of people think it's from um you know there's a place called Tierling in um Leoning. yes they always think that's why it's called you know the surname there there's actually nothing to do with that it's like well it's actually from um uh, i think apparently uh temua as in that the name i'm using on twitter which meant yeah. uh, um still in turkish yeah 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 and uh turkish and i think uh, any turkic language might even Mong- maybe even mongolian um anyway so so Lauti, why don't you uh introduce yourself uh because you you probably do a better job than i i, I do and uh, <laughs> just tell us a little bit about how you end up in Australia and, you know, growing up and all that good stuff. Well, yeah. So uh, my parents actually were studying in Australia in the 80s. And um, as you all know about the famous incident that China Watch is like to talk about, the Tiananmen Square massacre. Um, so basically, um, they, they got... What, what happened was one of my family members actually was um, allied with, um, I think, Zhao Ziyang, that guy, a long time ago. Oh yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, and that, and he's kind of like the pro. I can't say it, like the sort of the pro Western side of the of that um conflict. Um. Anyway, we we were able to get asylum after Bob Hawke let basically all the students, um, sort of well forty like I think it's like forty thousand people in the nineteen eighty nine stay. So both both my parents got to stay, and then I was born a few years later, and yeah, so I grew up in Australia. Very, very different. Um, I think growing up in Australia in say the nineties compared to um, nowadays, because in terms of Mandarin speakers, I was literally the only one for the last five or six years um, until high school. Yeah. Now it's everyone speaks Mandarin. They used to only speak Cantonese in like Melbourne. Yeah, very, yeah, very different. Yeah, I can totally relate to that because um, I'm actually came to United States in 1990, uh, also in the aftermath of Tiananmen Square incident. And and because my parents, uh, just like your parents, they were also studying in United States. And their original plan was uh, once my dad got his PhD, he would return to China, uh, become a full-time professor. But because of Tiananmen, they decided they're not going back. Instead, they're going to bring me to United States. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first came uh, in 1990, I was 13 year old at the time. And yeah, everybody speaks Cantonese. Like my dad put me in a in Chinatown school because he thought that will help me to uh, adjust. But I don't understand if people are speaking Cantonese or in English in class. And I told, <laughs> and I told my dad that then he's like, okay, forget it. You know, he just pulled me out, put me in another neighborhood school that, you know, it's English only. And, uh, and, and, and I also remember, um, like around, so I, we would go to Chicago Chinatown, like, mm-hmm. uh, on, on the weekends to get food and and around October 10th so that's a you know the founding day of a Republic of China right and then mm. like all of China, Chicago Chinatown will fly the Republic of China flag oh. not most Republic of China right the, the, the Republic of, yeah yes yes and and you know so I know I know I'm a minority among minorities so mm. <laughs> I learned to keep I, my heads down. Keep keep my mouth shut and, and judge people silently, uh, and and that didn't change. I think until I graduated, 
college because I, I went to Caltech and I remember even in Caltech, I was one of two maybe uh, undergrad who's, whose origin is mainland China. You know, the other Chinese students, they, their parents are either from Taiwan or Hong Kong. Uh, and, and that didn't change until maybe 2000, I say. Like, mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember because there were kids that would come and talk to me in Cantonese and I, I did not know what they were saying. And, and they, they wouldn't want to hang out with me. They're like, oh, this guy's different. He's like probably Korean or something. And they just left me alone. <laughs> then, then all the other white kids are like, why, don't you, why can't you speak Chinese? I'm like, yeah, I can speak Chinese. I just can't speak good with these people. And I didn't know, because I, I didn't know the difference between Mandarin and Cantonese back then. Mm. And it was just very confusing. And I, I, I also thought I was really weird because my parents wouldn't let me eat pork because, you know, I was Muslim as well. Uh. And, and it was really weird because they would order um, at restaurants, what do you call them? Like a uh, show roll that, you know, that roast pork, yeah. like my friends, and like yeah. a xiao dong bao. And I could never eat it. And, and, oh. and I just felt really bad because my parents were just like, no, you know, <laughs> you're, 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 you're hui mian, you can't eat it or you're going to like go to hell. I'm like, okay. Anyway, <laughs> it was just really weird growing up. And oh. Wait, um, are your parents practicing Muslim? No, it's, you probably know, because ever since sort of the cultural revolution, no one really sort of practices, yeah. I guess, unless it's for like the big festivals, like aid. Um, most of the time it's just, we don't eat pork. We don't, we really care about sort of hygiene. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, we, well, we bury our people in our, you know, Muslim, Muslim cemeteries in you know, China. Yes. Not sure what's going to happen when, if I do die here, maybe there is one, but <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it was just very odd growing up here and it, it got worse i think it was around um what do you call it uh 9-11 that was probably the worst period yeah um yeah because that's when all the sort of jokes came around and uh, they were like oh you know the all the muslims are terrorists so that's when i stopped identifying as muslim at all and i was how pretend i was what how nine, old were you 9-11 nine, nine, nine years old eight years old Oh, wow. Okay. You're a little kid then. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone um, started making fun of that uh, Albanian kid in class. Um, and he was openly like um, Islamic. And, yeah. and you know, I, I felt pretty bad because I also joined him. I was like, huh, I bet he bombs people. <laughs> Even though deep down I, I knew, you know. But funnily enough, my mom was kind of weird. She actually, because we had this Afghanistan, Afghan neighbor, and she would cheer him on. It's like, yeah, fuck America. And I was just like, mom, <laughs> stop. <laughs> And I was like, oh, God, uh, it was so embarrassing because he's like, yeah, we got the Americans. They deserve it. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. And she'd, she's always kind of weird. She always always go up to like random Iranians and Afghans like, yeah, we're literally the same people. I'm like, mom, that's like a thousand years ago. Can you stop? It's really embarrassing. <laughs> well, actually, can we talk about that? Because uh, recently there was a tweet from uh, Nathan Ruther, who is a guy working for Aspie, you know, the basically the think tank founded by U.S. weapon manufacturers and U.S. Mm. State Department. And he, Nathan Ruther is an interesting guy because I followed him, uh, you know, many years ago, back in the days of Syrian war, because he used to do maps uh, to map out the Syrian conflict. And he was a big a supporter of the so-called free Syrian army, you know, like the <laughs> the, the, the sectarian uh, militias, basically in, in Syria that was trying to do regime change. Um, and and so I, I follow him mostly because, he, you know, because of the maps. I yeah, didn't yeah. his uh, ideology for obvious reasons. And uh, but I noticed uh, just a few years back around, I think around 2017, as the Syrian war drew to a close, 
suddenly I noticed he started tweeting about Xinjiang, right? And I know this guy knows nothing about Xinjiang. <laughs> and, 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 and pretty soon he was hired by Aspie. Um, again, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're probably more familiar with it. Uh, uh, you, mm. Maybe you can talk about what, what Aspie is. Or well, my let's just talk about Nathan Ruzer first. I mean, this kid, okay. if he was, let's say, 15 years older, he would be taking photos, like a satellite photos of Iraqi places and, and branding them as WMD facilities. Like, okay. it's just he's too young to do that at the moment. I mean, if he was not born that in that time period. Uh, yeah, he, well, Aspie is the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. I actually didn't know about them until 2016. Um, and they're basically funded by uh, the, the U.S. basically all the big U.S. Uh, military uh, industry, like Raytheon, you know, Boeing and stuff. And for the last sort of four years, they've just been nonstop pushing these xenophobic uh, theories of Chinese influence control in Australia, which just it's just laughable because all the evidence is very much like oh, from an unknown source or from some random unnamed person that can they can never name. Um, you know, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and from Nathan Ruther, who is looking at Xinjiang from like three miles up, you know, he's analyzing <laughs> satellite informations, and, and he talks about Xinjiang a lot, and I'm like, dude, you know nothing about Xinjiang, you've probably never been to China, and, and I remember he made a, a remark, I forgot what prompted, about, um, uh, oh, oh, no, he was me, talking actually. about you specifically, because yeah. you, you tweeted something, and, and, and he said, Oh, first he he got your gender mixed up, and he thought you are a woman. He said she's not even a Uyghur, you know. She, he, he, she's a Han, she's a Hui, uh, which is basically like Han Muslim. Uh, and, and and I saw you responding to. That. I was like, oh man, that's like a whole big hornet nest. So this is a be a good opportunity, maybe for you uh, to introduce um, like your ethnic background to my audience who may not know about, you know, the ethnic breakups of, you know, like, uh, of, of China, you know, if they, yeah. they never heard about Hui Muslim before. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Hui Muslims are probably, we had the largest Muslim ethnicity. We're rarely talked about because um, Uyghurs are much more, I guess, popular because you can brand them as sort of separatists. So basically what Hui are, um, well, for my family anyway, we're very much a blanket umbrella term Hui. My family came originally from the Afghanistan-Iran area, roughly during the Yuan Dynasty. And we basically came through the Silk Road and we settled in China and sort of just practiced Islam for the last nearly millennia. Um, so, you know, after 800 years, we basically look um, Chinese. So a lot of people assume we're just Chinese, like Han Chinese, um, who practice Islam. But that's not true because we, it's kind of like being Ashkenazi Jewish, I guess you could say, or Shabbatic Jewish. Because you're still ethnically Hui and also religiously Hui. Um, there's also certain like aspects of how uh, secular you are. If you're in Ningxia or Qing, Qinghai, you're probably much more likely to be going to the mosque every day and praying. While if you're on the East Coast and say Shanghai, it's much much less likely, more secular. Um, and also, it's, it's a very umbrella term, as I said. Like, you know, you got Hui Chinese down in uh, Yunnan. And I think they're like Mongol background. And then once in... Uh, Hainan are like Cam Muslims, actually from Vietnamese refugees. Yeah, there's also still a lot of small pockets. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I think back in the days uh, before 1949, Hui was kind of catch all term for all Muslims. Even um, Uyghurs. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, even like, because like the, 
um, the uh, I mean in the in the Qin Dynasty document, the Uyghurs just referred to as Tanto Hui, which literally means turban turban. Yeah, uh, yeah right. And, yeah, they were. They were. Yeah, and then they used the, to call Hui Hui Ge as well, like in the Song Dynasty. So it's uh, it's all confusing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that's where the term originally, because you know you're you're right, because. Uh, the they they do call the uh, because the Uyghur uh, trans transliterated into Chinese back in the days is Huihe right uh, yeah, Huihe. yeah yeah so maybe that's and and as you mentioned you know during the Mongol conquest a uh, lot of a um, lot of the Central uh, Asian and West Asian Muslims that came with the Mongol army came to China and they settled down and they took local wives um, and then you know after after several generations, they, they you know, like appearance-wise, they might appear same as their neighbor, but they still retain their religious beliefs, and that that's mm. what's setting them apart from you know the Han Chinese community um, around them. So, so I just wanted to uh, this opportunity to refute Nathan Ruther from Aspie <laughs> <laughs> that Hui is not basically Han Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's a separate ethnicity, and it's treated so. In in China since 1949, um, I mean, basically, you 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 the, the the thing is, you you know, you even if you are a Han person and you convert to You're Islam, not no. um, uh, well, I mean, in the old days, you you would maybe you would convert, be yeah you would be in the old days, but the, the the thing is nowadays, you know, even the 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 secular way, uh, they don't revert back to Han, right? Like, just the joke we used to make, because I'm like, right now, because you know how those those minority benefits, like the gold car, you get extra points if you're a minority? So a lot of, uh, my my mom used to make jokes to like, the relatives, like, you should just convert to Islam and become Hui. Then you can get into like, you know, Beida or Tinghua easily. But yeah, that, that would just be crazy if you could do that. <laughs> you know, they don't do that anymore. Like, they used to. They used to for, for Hui, because uh, um, in the 80s, like, I grew up in China, uh, right from 1976 to 1990s. So I, uh, in in 80s, I have um, I have a good friend in elementary school. Uh, he's from a Hui family, but I didn't know he was from Hui family because, as you mentioned, uh, in the 80s, everybody's was very secular because you know just mm. after the ending of the Cultural Revolution when religion was banned, and then um, then his his dad they're from uh, they're from Yunnan. Their family is from Yunnan. Oh, Kenpai, yeah. Kui commu- uh, community and and uh, they so that when uh, it, his brother is in the same class as my older sister and when during the uh, not Gaokao but the uh, when they're were testing into high school mm-hmm. right when they're t- or junior high when they're testing into like junior high yeah. right and that time at that time they do add a couple points if you are like a Hui uh, yeah. Ethnicity. So he he basically opened up. Uh, you know, he, he came out as Hui basically, <laughs> and people are like, "What?" They're <laughs> <laughs> like, "We didn't know that before." Uh, and and some some people think, "Oh, like this guy is just taking advantage of the affirmative action system." But he's actually a very good student. He's like, well, he's top. He was one of the top five in his class anyway. I mean, I don't think he needed that much. But but yeah, like like. I, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about when you say, oh, your, your family is very secular, because this just sounds like a friend of mine, you know, growing up. Um, uh, OK, so let's talk about you. <laughs> let's go back. Oh, to no, uh, we're not too secular because my granddad is actually the head of the Dongbei Islamic Association. But that was before oh. 1949. 
he was super into like we even have a, we have our, we have our own mosque in um, Shenyang. We built the first mosque of family, so we're very into it. Just after Wenge, uh, I mean, uh, Cultural Revolution, it, it became a bit harder to sort of because um, everyone became sort of atheist. But then now we're kind of reverting back now. It, it's 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 yeah. a long story, but yeah, um, by myself. But um, I actually got interviewed by um, I think four years ago by an ASPI, ABC. Um, you know that how they did the first China influence thing on Four Corners, ABC. It's like an Australian program. Yes. About influence uh, Chinese universities. So I got called up by this guy called Nick McKenzie. Um, anyway, Nick McKenzie kept asking me. He's like, "Oh yeah, um, so I heard uh, there's people, Chinese students, <laughs> bullying Taiwanese students at Melbourne University," and I was like, "Oh, uh, that's not true." And he's like, no, just tell me it's true. If you tell me it's true, I can get you on TV. And I was like, wow. it's not true. And basically, because um, my girlfriend at the time, she's Taiwanese. And she was also used to be the head of a Taiwanese association. And she told me it was actually the other way around. Because Taiwanese students usually had a sort of a higher privilege back about five or, five or six years ago, four yeah. years ago. Because of the pop culture, like Jay Chow. So they usually yeah. bully the mainland students. So I told him, it's like, no, no, it's actually the way around. He's like, no, you're lying. Look, what, look at whatever, mate. And he just hung up on me. He never talked to me again. And then, then a few weeks later, his thing comes out. And it's literally him. I think he actually got sued for that documentary um, that because he basically controlled the narrative and uh, defamed Ludi, Lupin, Lupin, Lupin Lu, who was the actual um, interviewee. Yeah, he did get sued for that. He had to pay her like some un, unknown sum of money. Wow. So. Wow. I mean... Uh... <laughs> So yeah, I actually this uh, just reminded me, uh, you know, before I think before two thousand, definitely before uh, I graduated college, most of my peers would be, you know, from Hong Kong or Taiwan background, and like like they are the majority of the Chinese community, and and yeah, I I I, I am the one keeping my mouth shut and my head down. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a surprise, and he's like talking about um, mainlanders bullying Taiwanese kids because some Taiwanese kids might have different views, and I've I've just never seen that on on maybe it probably happens, it definitely probably happens somewhere, but I've never seen it on campus when I was at university. Uh, it's always the other way around. They'll be like, oh, you know, Dalu, they're so poor, they're all so backwards, they all work, like you know, Dalu um, Sal, and they they had all these terms for us, and. Oh. Yeah, I, I'm well aware of that. I mean, like I had my roommate, my roommate in Caltech, he was, uh, uh, you know, his his background is Taiwanese. <laughs> he used to say all those things. <laughs> and and again, I judged him silently. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I could, I, I could, I sort of, you know, I, I was a bit angry when he told me that and I wanted to expose him. So I actually tried to report him to um, our local sort of compliance thing. And they just rejected my report saying that, oh, it's his point of view. But he's not even doing journalism. He's literally just making up a story and getting Chinese people to fill in the gaps. So, and this guy went on to win multiple like journalism awards in Australia for his reporting on Chinese influence. It's just such a it's such a sham, you know. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because I'm watching this from far. I, I, this started, I think, when I was still in the United States, mm. and uh, you know, I, I read. I think I, I, I read this guy, um, a China watcher guy. He's a legit China watcher. Uh, his handle is actually China Han, I think. Uh, Peter Lee. Um, he oh, writes yeah. a lot about yeah, geopolitics and um, around China. And he's the first one to point out there's a shift 
uh, in Australia, and it looks like uh, you know the, the the U.S. deep state is doing uh, you know what doing Australia what uh, basically the equivalent of Russia Gate they they were doing in the United States <laughs> they're doing like a China Gate in Australia. yeah basically yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and, um, and it's interesting because. Australia is actually, you know, it's an export uh, economy, and its largest customer is actually China. China is Australia's largest export yep. market. So, so four percent, I think, of our exports. So, nearly a third of our economy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 the, you know, the it's it's so crazy that you know, naturally, in economic sense. You know, it totally makes sense for 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 Australia and China to cooperate and to grow together. But just because of the push from the U.S. national security establishment, then the Australian politicians, Australian politicians in the last few years have been moving further and further away from China. And, and to to do that, there's actually a witch hunt. Well, in my opinion, a witch hunt in Australian politics to hunt for the Chinese influence, which uh, maybe you can. Yeah, you, you're probably better uh, <laughs> equipped to talk about this. Yeah, um, like there will be stories of like one Chinese guy buys a farm, literally front page news next day. But then you look in the actual Australian numbers on the ABS, like the old, old treasury um, documents from the Australian government itself. You see that the biggest investors in land are still America, who owns nearly half of our companies, basically everything we have. And no one ever talks about it when a Chinese, like an American or even a Japanese company uh, buys like you know hundreds of thousands of like kilometers of um, property in Australia, but as soon as one guy have a Chinese name, he could be Malaysian, he could be Singaporean. Doesn't even have to be from mainland China. As long as he's Chinese of some sort, oh, it's going to be a huge story of Chinese influence, and there will be the bogans coming. Like, oh, get him out of the country, Chinese spies. Um, it, it it got really bad to the point. Um, I don't know if you saw the story with um, the, there was that uh, MP uh, Suleiman, I think the New South Wales MP, he basically said a really tame comment. He said, oh, I think China did okay with um, COVID. He didn't say anything else. He just sort of sort of did a really sort of short uh, compliment. And his house was raided in a few days later by the Australian Federal Police as wow. a Chinese agent. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, okay, this reminds me of this clip um, from from a Australian TV, actually, ABC, Utopia. Uh, this was from a few years ago. So I, I like to play this clip because it, it, it really explains the, the craziness of the Australian defense policy toward China. I'm going to put it next to my mic. I'll name one and you just nod. You know what? I'll name one and you just nod. China. Yeah. Okay. And what exactly are we protecting? Strategic interests. Specifically, Colonel. Indo-Pacific strategic Again, interests. Again, really specifically. Indo-Asia-Pacific yeah. strategic interests. You know interests. what? I'll say it and then you nod. Our trade routes. Yeah. And who is our number one trading partner? Shall we use an odd system? Sure. China? So under this scenario, we're spending close to $30 billion a year to protect our trade with China from China. And that doesn't strike anyone at this table as odd. You know what? what? So, so basically, uh, for people who can't see, that people are shaking their heads. They're like, no, no, it's not, not weird at all. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> 
the absurdness of the situation we have now. Um, and I'm just I'm just flabbergasted how things. Uh, I mean, I, I I'm from U.S., so I am also flabbergasted how things how far the things have fallen in the yeah. U.S.-China relations. But I think what happened in Australia was a prelude. It's almost like they uh, they did a dry wrong in Australia. No, that, that tape is 100% correct. Um, and especially like with Russiagate, it's basically a reflection. Everything about Russia was in suspicion in the U.S., I think, in that period as well. Everything that is, anything Chinese is suspicious with China. Like there was that new um, member of parliament, Gladys Liu. I don't know if you know her. Um, no. Yeah, so she's a Hong Kong-born politician. She has very strong links with Falun Gong, uh, which you know is very anti-China. She always has very strong links um, with the US. Uh, her, all her kids went to school in the US. She posts about pro-US stuff every day. Uh, she has connections with uh, McKinsey, which is, you know, another um, consulting firm. Uh, and her, she's never said once that she's Chinese in her comments. And I even know that she's most likely backed by the Falun Gong as candidate. And for some reason, she's now being accused of being a Chinese spy. It, it doesn't make any sense, you know? It, it, she's never said she's Chinese. She even, got, she even criticizes China every week on the news. And every time she does it, everyone's like, oh, she's just pretending. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> God. Yeah. I mean, that, that happens in U.S. too. There was, a, um, there, there was the, the wife of uh, the... Elaine Chow? Uh, yes, yes, um, yes. Turtle boy. Turtle boy. <laughs> What's his name? Mitch McConnell. Yes, I, yeah. yes, she is like a top Republican. She's married to a white top <laughs> Republican, right? And, and KMT this, background as well. <laughs> yes, yes, KMT background. You know, like uh, like the, her parents fled to, you know, fled mainland China after top communists take power. So even she was accused of being like a peddler of Chinese influence. So I I actually tweeted about that. I said, well, if Elaine Chao is not safe. <laughs> nobody, nobody of Chinese ancestry is safe here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this—that's one reason I hightail out of here now. I mean, Bali. Uh, but yeah, like this is this last few years, man. It's it's crazy, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I once got I also got interviewed last year by um, SBS. It's like a multicultural network in Australia by the government. So this lady, she approaches me on Twitter, and she's like. Oh, still Muslim, I want to talk to you about um, Muslim repression by Chinese uh, government. I'm like, yeah, sure. So she calls me after work and she's like, yeah, I know you're Muslim. So I, I think you're being followed by the Chinese government right now. Am I right? And I'm like, no, no. Then, then she keeps going. It's like, okay, from what my understanding is, you're not being followed, but there's very high chances that your family in China is being held hostage so you can't talk. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And I had to tell her no. Um, then eventually she got really frustrated and she's like, look, I interviewed around, you know, five or six yellow um, Hui Muslims in, in uh, Melbourne. They all, all won't talk to me. And I'm assuming that all of you are in danger. So I won't talk to you guys any longer. Wow. I, I was just speechless. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, that reminds me, I was actually interviewed by a British journalist, uh, Isabel Cockerell. Who... I watched that whole thing. It was oh, <laughs> maddening. Yes, she, so she's a journalist, won the European Press Award for her reporting on Xinjiang. And she actually ad admitted to me on the interview with me that she actually never been to Xinjiang, right? And, and so she, 
uh, her claim to fame is she interviewed all the all the um, all the Uyghur in, in exile, um, and and so he she interviewed me, uh, you know, pretending to know my life story, which I spent an hour talking about, and then when the story came out. You know, she just cherry pick uh, a, a, a couple points and take them out of context and and put out very incendiary tweets that's, you know, Carl Zha, this uh, social influencer, uh, you know, d- doing his best to deny genocide in Xinjiang. Right? <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, it's like that's what you like. I, I it was it's just unbelievable. And I, mean, I had the foresight to ask her permission to record our, our interview and, and with explicit purpose, stated purpose to use for my show, uh, a Patreon. Um, uh, and, and she actually said yes. And then uh, later after the interview, she uh, direct messaged me. She said, oh, actually, I checked with my um, company policy that they said, you know, they consider the interview a, a company asset. You, you actually can use it. I was like, that's really slimy. You agreed beforehand. Once you, you know, that was my condition to be interviewed. <laughs> once you yeah, interview- it's not like you signed a contract. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I didn't. I didn't know sign no contract. So I'm gonna post it, and, and for everybody to judge, right? Like you painted me under certain light. Here is a full interview. Everybody can judge for themselves. You know what? What I say and versus what you posted. I mean, it's, it's really eye-opening a way to how the Western narrative on China is constructed. You know, it's basically they write whatever they want. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I, I just don't, I just can't trust journalism anymore after being interviewed all these times. And they're just trying to drop in the gaps. And with Ismail, uh, what's her name? Ismail Cockerell, was it? Yeah, uh, uh, Ismail yeah. Cockerell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and she, she kept going on, she's like, oh yes, I'm from Colombia or something. And... It was just so disingenuous because she she basically was trying to goad you to get get you angry, and I was I was so surprised how you kept so calm in an interview. <laughs> well, the good thing is it was audio only interview because he, she wanted to do video, but because my connection was so poor in Bali due to the lockdown, everybody is online watching movies, <laughs> so so my my video fee was really slow. So ended we ended up only doing audio. And uh, so, so you would not be able to see my facial expressions, you know. Unlike my fiance, she saw me. She saw me like, like getting agitated. <laughs> but yeah, like, I saw actually, Jerry's. Jerry was just like sort of aghast when she started yeah. attacking him very, very harshly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's like, "How do I know you're not being paid by the Ch- Chinese government?" And I'm like, "Oh, it was so annoying when she's just." Um, Started making up baseless claims because that had no point except for the fact that maybe you're Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she, she or oh, Isabel actually uh, did that. I mean, she she did it a very sneaky way. She asked about my life in Bali. You know how I support myself. You know, I just explained to her I, um, you know, my income is mostly from my Patreon supporters uh, for for the Silk and Steel podcast, and 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 she, you know, I I just told her offhand that I, uh, you know, I came to Bali to surf and that's how I ended up, ended up staying. But in, in her article, it came out as Carl Zha, the social influencer, uh, you know, takes a dip in the turquoise blue green water of Bali. And after he serves, he settled down to his full-time job as an influencer, you know, tweeting pro-China messages. <laughs> I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you sound pretty cool though. It's like you're some I, secret I, agent I, in Bali. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, he he he's trying to make me sound like a dumbass surfer who's uh you know like this TikTok star idols who who's nah. uh, just. Yeah, I imagine yeah. you like during daytime you're surfing topless and at time you're like in a suit and sunglasses, you're on your computer just typing, you know, umal umal stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's quiz. Cool <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, now I want to ask you. So, how did you learn Chinese? Uh, because you were born in Australia, right? Yeah. Um. Well, my my parents uh, were from a you know you probably as you like your language channel Guomindang family, so very proud. Um, very well, Guomindang very nationalistic. That's all I can say. Um, so my parents were very proud. Like, remember, you're you're Chinese. Never forget that. Or you're like, you know, a biolung, you know, or something like. It means like ungrateful. And so they forced me to basically hit me and learn it. Um, I hated it, but uh, I think I'm quite lucky to actually know it after all this time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you actually went to like Chinese school in Australia. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, like that's a like an almost institution in the United States, but a lot of the. Um, ABCs, American-born Chinese, they hated it. Like I, I, um, my so my my professor in in Caltech, uh, my professor for Chinese literature, uh, James Lee, he's he's actually the son of Li Zhengdao, who is like uh, who won the Nobel laureate for he was a for for physics, I think. Um, you know, one of the first oh, Chinese American. Wow. Or to win uh, physics uh, Nobel Prize, so he, but he's a son. He 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 taught um, basically Chinese history and literature at Caltech. He, his his training is a his, is history. He's a historian, uh, but he would tell us stories about growing up in the United States and forced to go to Chinese schools on the weekends by his Chinese parents. And they would what they would do is they you know like they walk halfway to school and they will stop by this burger joint and then they will never make it to school. <laughs> so wow. he actually never learned Chinese until college. He, he learned his Chinese at Yale. You know, wow, and, that's very late. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and he actually was the one that would call me out in class. He's like. Oh, you know, like now you have Carl, this totally westernized Chinese, <laughs> and I, I'm like, dude, <laughs> you didn't learn Chinese until college, man. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I got just... dragged crying. Like I was crying every time I got sent there. I hated it. It was so boring. And the <laughs> teachers at Chinese school are much meaner than teachers at uh, everyday school because they like have this sort of Chinese discipline. Yeah, yeah. it was horrible. Wait, can you speak um, Chongqing dialect? Or? Of course, I grew up there for. What's the two cent two zhang li Chongqing then? Did you get that? That's good. Just, I used to be able to speak Beijing, but I can't speak it anymore. Because my parents really went, came from went to Beijing after Dongbei. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I can't do Beijing accent anymore. It's like, just, I can't do it. It's like Dashlar. I can't do it. <laughs> Well, your your standard Mandarin is probably better than mine because I speak it with a Sichuan accent, and and I did not even realize I spoke it with a Sichuan accent until the computer age, you know, right? Because like uh, now everything is Pinyin input, right? You you you、yeah. use I use Pinyin input to type Chinese, and so I have to write out the Pinyin first, and there were some words I couldn't just couldn't spell like.、Uh, Um, you know the 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 Indian uh, Sai Wen Sai Wen Sima. Do you know that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sai Wen. I can't pronounce that properly. Yeah,、actually. yeah. But 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 in standard Mandarin, it's Wen. Uh, is is W E N G. But in 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 Chongqing or in Sichuanese, it's Ong. 
right? O N G, right? But yeah. I type O N G, the word just does not come oh, up. Okay. I don't know. I when I went to Chengdu, I just thought they sp- spoke um, Mandarin in like a slanted, like a weird accent, like sort of like <laughs> English and Scottish English, and they kept. Like everyone in Chengdu really hated Chongqing for some reason, but I actually didn't. Like it was like a weird rivalry going on. Yeah. But yeah. everyone in Chongqing hated Chengdu as well, so it was just like, yeah, yeah <laughs> it was pretty well, funny. Like, yeah, well, Chongqing and Chengdu is two uh, two biggest city in the Sichuan Basin, and and literally the rivalry goes back to two thousand years <laughs> because there there, <laughs> there used to be, yeah. yeah there yeah exactly there used to be two uh two two rival kingdoms. In in the Sichuan Basin, one with a capital in Chongqing, the other with capital in Chengdu. So, so that has been going around for for thousands. I mean, like we don't really really hate each other, but I still say stuff like you know, the, the Chengdu men talk like girls, <laughs> which is true. Oh, really? Because <laughs> they, they they try they, to tell me my friends like they try to do Chongqing accent and Chengdu accent. I was like, it sounds exactly the same to me. <laughs> and like, no, it does not sound the same. And they got really mad at me. <laughs> uh, no, like it's uh the, the Chongqing accent is a little more. Harsher, uh, the Chengdu accent is is softer. I mean, it's it's really like a different dialect. It's like the it's a different dialect of the Sichuanese. Because uh, technically, Sichuanese is still part of the Mandarin family. I mean, but Mandarin is really a language is a is a is a family is a language family, right? Like, because yeah. I hear sometimes I hear like people from Northwest China, like Gansu, Qinghai. Uh, Talk Mandarin, Jesus! I, I I'm lucky if I can understand like sixty percent, but but like you know um, you know I can't understand standard Mandarin no problem because we learned that in school. Uh, but often it's the the people from Beijing that have difficulty understand us because yeah. they they don't they never have they're monolingual so they never had to make adjustments. They're basically the Americans, white Americans yes. of the world. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. it's uh, it's the same with um. There's a city called next to Beijing called Tianjin. They mm-hmm. they sound hundred percent different from Beijing. Yes. It's 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 so close. It does not make sense. Yeah. Like yeah, actually, Tianjin accent that people a lot of people think it, it it sounds funny and like people make fun of it. It's it's but it's it, you're right, you're right. Because like even in Chongqing, I remember uh, when I was kids, as soon as I walk off the city limit, I I stop. Losing language comprehension because I don't understand the farmers like the local farmers. I like oh, this yeah. such a like I so when I was thirteen, I went to Chengdu um to to the U.S. consulate, which which is now closed by Donald Trump. <laughs> but in in nineteen ninety, I went to Chengdu U.S. consulate to get my visa to. They United didn't have it in Chongqing, or. No, like in fact, the the cons- the U.S. consulate in Chengdu actually covers the entire southwest China. So it covers Tibet, Sichuan, Chongqing, Guizhou, Yunnan. So when oh, uh, when, like uh, the military district as well. Yeah. Yeah. So so when they shut down that consulate, you know, half of the south, the entire southwestern China is gone. The consular service they will now have to go to you know either Guangzhou or Beijing or or or, or Shanghai, right? And yeah. And, yeah, yeah, but back in 1990, I, you know, as a 13-year-old, because I, um, I grew up in China in Chongqing, but my dad is actually from a different part of China. He's from Zhejiang, right near the on yeah, the coast. I mean, and, and famous Jia clan. Yeah, yeah, we are I'm sorry. Go ahead. Which author was it? That famous author, I think, was one of them. Yes, 
Yeah, the, the famous Chinese martial artist uh, Jin Yong, who whose uh, novels has been like made into TV drama and movies for thousands thousands of times, and his real name is Zha Liang Yong, right? Jin Yong is actually his pen pen name. He took his last character uh, in Yong. Uh, it's a uh, and and it's, he split the character and he become Jin Yong. Um, and he was he actually lived. In the same town as my my grandparents. So um, you're related. <laughs> go ahead. Are you related? Like probably. Yes. Yes. We are. We are of the same clan. We are the Za of Hainin. But uh, so I went back to China last year in 2019. I actually got the family genealogy book because um, because my so 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 normally the family genealogy book is passed down to the eldest son in the family. Mm-hmm. Right and and but my my cousins, all my cousins have daughter. <laughs> so, oh, same with yes. me. Same with me. Yes. Yeah. So my my oldest uncle, he came to me. He's like, you know, you have a you have a, a heavy burden on your shoulder. I'm like what? <laughs> He's like, you know, you are the only one that's not bounded by you know one child or two child policy. <laughs> We don't have any like we don't have any uh, grandsons in, in the in the next generation. You know, it's all up to you now. So he gave me the family genealogy book, right? Which means I I, I must uh, produce a song, I guess. And 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 so through the family genealogy book, I found out we are uh, the last. We yes, we are of the same clan as Jin Yong, but the the last time we actually shared the same patrilineal ancestor. Was in the late Ming Dynasty. <laughs> oh, honey, so far away. <laughs> yeah, so like three hundred years ago. But we all live in the same town, you know. Like uh, I, I assume we're a lot closer, but apparently it was pretty far. Yeah, it was pretty far. Like I've had people because um my family basically where I've been in um Shenyang since uh before before even Qing Dynasty was formed. So like um Houjin, like bef- the Qing sort of like what they used to be called before it became Qing Dynasty. Yeah. So. Every there were people that were messaging me on Twitter. It's like, hey, uh, do you know this guy in, um, you know, Shenyang? His last name is Tia, and I'm like, yeah, he's like my, you know, my cousin. Yeah, because we all <laughs> used to live in the same sort of, you know, same area as well. Everyone in that area, there was only like three last names, all Muslims. Yeah, <laughs> so it's sound the same kind of thing. But that also reminds me of the regionalism in Ch- in um, China. It actually influenced um, Australia and Chinese relations quite a bit, um, especially during the Gold Rush period. Uh, so I was talking to a professor of um, Chinese Australian history uh, when, I, when I was in Peking, and apparently, a lot of the first migrants came from a place called Zhongshan in Guangdong, and yeah. also uh, Guangzhou as well, like Yuezhou area, and they hated each other. So what was happening was when they were mining, they would get attacked by white people. But the thing is, sometimes the Zhongshan guy would also fight the Guangzhou guy, and they would fight each other, or get the other white guys to kill the other. Chinese people because they hate each other more than the white wow. people. So I'm just like, oh, that sounds so Chinese, just hating each other, but while the other people attack you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And apparently got so bad that Zhongshan people with different from different districts could recognize each other by dialect. They will kill each other as well. Um, but anyway, so it, it, it's not surprising. There was also like you know a lot of taxes going on. You know, Chinese people couldn't even land in Melbourne uh, back in the day. They had to land like hundreds of kilometers away because there was like, oh, they had to pay an extra tax. Mm. Yeah, there was a lot of laws back then. Um, so most Chinese people would re- eventually um, had to basically work in the furniture industry 
by 1890s. So what happened was the white people was like, well, we've kind of already, you know, already pushed them to only working in white industry, but we really don't want these Chinese people here. So they set up a new law called the Furniture Industry Law. Basically, it was targeted at Chinese people, and that eventually destroyed the entire sort of Chinese population um, out of 40,000 to only a few thousand in Chinatown. Yeah, basically, it's it's just this sort of idea of um, xenophobia has been so um, ingrained in Australian history. Like, they used to even had terms like, you know, uh, slit eyes and stuff back in the 1800s when Australia first was settled. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the original white-only Australian policy was instituted to keep the Chinese out, right? Yes, I mean, that's yes. My they had to pay double taxes. Um, it, it was very, like, looking at it, it was very racist. Like, Chinese people had to be buried with indigenous people. Um, so recently, there was a whole um, controversy about the Queen Victoria market um, moving the car park. Because the car park itself underneath was a huge burial ground for indigenous people and Chinese people's bodies. And you actually can't sort of disturb the bodies of um, indigenous people because it's like against mm-hmm. sort of the spiritual rights. And I didn't know that. I was like, why are Chinese buried indigenous people? Because we're not very similar in culture. It turns out they viewed indigenous people as inhuman, just the same as Chinese. Yeah. 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 So it's non-white. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Was... That, that's a very similar story to in United States, you know, like... Uh, the early early um, Chinese immigrants obviously came to uh, U.S. for the building their railroads and also because of the gold rush in California in the in the 1860s and and uh, you know most of them came from like the three district and in the Pearl River Delta uh, Taishan mostly around the uh, you know Taishan area and and they. Um, so after after they came for the railroad, uh, you know, re- there are most of them original plans to come here, make some money and go back to China. But because they were exploited so much that they many of them end up uh, in, indebted. So they had to stay and work off their debts in the United yeah. States and they couldn't go back to China. And then uh, the U.S. government put all, all kind of uh, restrictions. You know, Chinese can't own land. They can't go into farming. They can't do fishing. So the only uh, industry that was left was restaurant and laundry. That's why, like, you know, Chinese laundry men become a thing because that, that was only uh, option available back then. Sounds very Australian, like the furniture thing. Wow, very similar. Yeah, yeah. And it, it caused a lot of Chinese people in Australia to be very angry, like... Uh, like the Southern China Morning Post, that was founded by, um, you know, Australian Chinese, uh, I think, background as well. And it, it was just um, a lot of Chinese people from Australia ended up donating to Sui San for revolution, and they became very nationalistic. Uh, yeah, it, 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 that's also kind of connected to China's modern history as well, because there's sort, sort of xenophobia they saw overseas. They wanted to push the foreigners out of, the, out of China. Yeah. <laughs> And I think I think oh, yeah. also was in Hawaii, yeah, or something like yes, that. Yes, yes. He he has a brother. He has an older brother who was in Hawaii, um, you know, doing business. So he was sent to join his brother at a very young age. That's where he got uh, became like converted to uh, evangelical Christianity. <laughs> oh then, God! <laughs> and he was uh, so he started to smashing Confucian. Uh, idols in the confucian temples basically causing trouble that so he had his brother had to send him back to china because you know the, he got the local chinese community all riled up for you know who is this kid coming here smashing you know the confucian temples and the buddhist temples and all that and yeah, that's crazy 
Yeah, and 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 uh, yeah, I mean, there's a very uh, there's a lot of parallel, right? Because uh, both United States and Australia are these uh, settler settler <laughs> societies, oh, colonial settler societies. Um, and 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 I remember, like, just a few years ago, Australia there was um there was a t- supposed to be a TV miniseries um, about this uh, deadly Australian sniper in World War. One. Oh yes, Billy Singh. Yes, yes. he was yes. half Chinese. Uh, he had a Chinese father and a, I think, English mother. But yeah. they portrayed it with like a white actor for some reason. Uh, anyway, that's just typical Australia. Yeah. <laughs> like they yeah, had not- new Vietnamese um, Australian series, and on the front poster, there was a white guy as the main character on the front poster, uh, called Hungry Ghosts. I'm just like, of course, they can't, they can't do anything correct. And there was also an Australian remake of um, Cherry to the West, all, wow. all white actors as well. Wow. Wow. That's like, a, sounds like the, the La Avatar, The Last Airbender. Yes. yes. <laughs> this is a horrible movie. Horrible, horrible movie. Yeah. Um, okay. So I actually wanted to go back to talk about the, the, the Aspie because um, like they play a very important role in this uh, worsening relations between China and, and Australia. Because it turns out, I think there's a news article came out like a few months ago. It turns out the the majority of the negative uh, stories about China uh, came from, ultimately came from Aspie. Like they they were the origin of all these Sinophobic stories. They basically hire anyone that's anti-China at this moment. Like there was Alex Josky. Um, so getting a job um, in Aspie should be um, uh, like, especially for public service jobs, you, you get vetted quite heavily in, in Australia because you have to write like, an application. You have to have the right, the right amount of qualifications, like usually a master's degree for an analyst job. Well, Alex Josky, he's this kid who basically he, he was a he didn't finish his undergrad yet and he got accepted as an analyst. And he was basically the guy who was originally the basis of making up stories about um you know, Chinese students spying on ANU. Yeah. So basically he got famous by that. He was able to get a hundred thousand dollar a year a job, um, just making up more lies. Um, and then, then there was Vicky Xu. You probably heard about her. Uh, just another oh sort of, God. she apparently failed out of US, failed out of Europe and all these other countries. And then she's like, wait, I can go to Australia and just make up lies about Chinese people and get a green card. So, yeah. And she knows nothing. Like she's, she is one cited as a source on the Xinjiang Uyghur slave labor story, right? I mean, like she is being promoted as like a like a top researcher, but this this girl, I mean, I'm I'm sh- deeply shocked at her ignorance coming, considering that she came from mainland China originally, because uh, just recently she was tweeting about um, this uh, because uh, you know you know a lot of uh, the dissidents were uh, tweet were sending out vi- TikTok videos <laughs> coming oh, out of China. Oh yes, and yes. Then, uh, you know I, I interview one of them right, Arslan, uh, on my show, uh, uh, Silk Arslan and Steel. Yeah. But but she was uh, so so Vicky was uh, retweeting a uh, quote tweeting one of these tweets and and because it was um it was this uh, Uyghur recruited. Um, to go work in in eastern China factories, they were, they were getting on a bus. Uh, but but the, you know in TikTok they sometimes they allow you to choose background music, mm-hmm. and the background music they use was the Chinese version of Bella Ciao, right? A very oh, famous, I remember now. 
Yeah. Yes, a very famous, you know, World War II Italian resistance song, right? Like anti-fascist resistance song. And so she tweeted about that. She's like, oh, you know, they're, oh, they're using an Italian protest song. And, you know, I grew up thinking that it's a Chinese song. And, and you know, I only found out that it's, it's Italian through watching the Spanish TV series recently. And... And then uh, she said, oh, you know, I thought it was, you know, I thought I, I could imagine how he, 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 uh, the, the song got, got trans- transported into China and then, then songs through wars and passed down through generations. I'm like, you are crazy. I know, <laughs> I know exactly how that song came to, uh, came to China, came to be popularized. It came to China through a Yugoslavian war movie that was imported in the 1979. <laughs> and, 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 and the, you know, the lyrics and the song, it was, you know, um, uh, dubbed into Chinese. And so that's because back in the 80s, you know, Yugoslavian war dramas were the head back then. So that that song, uh, you know, translate into Chinese is "A uh, Peng uh, Zai Jian." So that that, I mean, how I don't I, I don't understand how she think that was like passed down through generations through wars in China. <laughs> like, oh my who told her that? <laughs> but, but, I think she's being dishonest on purpose. Oh, I don't know if she's actually ignorant because yeah, um, her background just doesn't make sense. So she said that um, she was taught political education. But yet she speaks very Americanized English. And that, that just has signs of someone that would have gone to international school um, in, in China. Because uh, unless she won't be able to come to Australia unless, you know, there's quite a lot of wealth. Um, it's not like sort of like the 1980s where, um, yeah, it's just very odd. None of her backstory makes sense. Uh, and she talked about, you know, being censored. But it turned out she had, she had a Weibo account in China and she was tweeting, but no one cared about her because no one knew who she was. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, did you know is... I had a five million follower Weibo account at one point? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I, I watched it, um, that meeting, and you got banned because yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't talk... know how to ban you. Well, um, the thing is, the censorship in China is very arbitrary, and they don't publish like a clear guideline, like of rules. What what can you do? What can you not do? So a lot, of, it's a lot of guesswork, and and it's very subjective actually. Because I, I figure out there's like different level of censorship. There's a human censors, and then there's like AI, right? And now now they're adopting more and more AI, and. And because at one time I uploaded a video of this woman, uh, this woman singing in, um, I think it was in Denmark, singing in, in Danish, and and it was a very beautiful song. So I uploaded to Weibo, and and it was censored, and I was shocked. I'm like, I don't, under, I, I don't understand what's objectionable about the music video. And then someone else pointed out, oh, because she's singing in front of a nude statue and because oh. the AI probably is not smart enough to figure out that is a nude statue and not a <laughs> pornography so so they ban you anyway so there's a lot of re- I mean Chinese censorship is ridiculous I, I talk about this yeah it's really counterproductive I, I talk about this a lot of times but I, I eventually I just got tired of playing like the cat and mouse game with with the censors and, and after they uh, ban my five million follower account. I, I just cu- started to devote my time to Twitter more. Right? Although now people are trying to cancel me on Twitter. <laughs> many, many. Can't times. go anywhere. I don't know where you're gonna go next. Then. Yeah. But, we'll yeah. See. Like uh, um, about Vicky. She just reminds me of the, there's there's a lot of kids who uh, migrate to China when they're like in their teens, 
or when they're like you know early like eight ten, and they're very um want to sort of fit in, yeah, to Australian society. So they will do anything. They will like make jokes about their own country, um, sort of deprecate and it's like, oh, I'm chinky China, Ching Chong, Wing Wong, and say stuff like that. Wow. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a very common trait in Australia. I don't know if it happens in, in America. And I mean, I've known so many kids I, like, yeah. I know people would say, you know, try to fit in, but wow, to say that about you, I mean, maybe like it's Australian humor type of thing, but no, that's, that's, that's no, not, not in United States. You know, you, I know. May, you, may, you may have people saying stuff like, oh, you know, I, I, I've been here so long, I forgot how to speak Chinese properly, like, like that. But, but uh, no, not, never will say call themselves chinky. I mean, wow. Holy shit. I know I know girls who call themselves Ling Ling. Like it's like, oh my name is Ling Ling. Ha ha ha. And I eat dog. And I'm just like, it's not funny, man. But they, they want to impress white people to fit in. It, it's very sad in Australia. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, that's what Vicky reminds me of, basically. Someone that really, really wants to fit in mm. and really wants to stay in Australia. Um, I don't know what her dad does, but uh I feel sorry for for her dad. I mean, it, he's probably not in trouble, but like um, you know, when you say these things in such a sensitive sort of area like it about China in Australia, mm-hmm. you're you're not being very, um, you're not really thinking of your family. Your family's still in China. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's very sad, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's her career now, right? I mean, she's yeah. she's like basically the Chinese face to spew all the anti-Chinese propaganda. That's basically what she is. Like. Um, What's her name? Candace Owens for the African American community, like the conservative black person. Yes. Yeah. It's, yes. Uh, it's so annoying. Um, and there's Drew Pavlo. I don't know if you heard about him. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh he so he got famous because he he claimed that oh he was a pro Hong Kong protest, right? And he claimed the mainland Chinese students are trying to shut him down. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of th- about a lot of things about him don't make sense. Like he he talks about being like you know Cypriot Greek background and stuff but now he starts really to care about turkish nationalism for some reason anyway that's that's another story but um he he basically he just seems like an attention seeker this guy he just really really wants to be famous and right at the moment as i said before as long as you're anti-china right now you can be famous in any way you want as long as you say anything you want about china you can make it up and people will believe you and that's that's basically what drew pablo is um a lot of the stories um Look, I'll be honest, I've been guilty of making a some fake accounts and giving Drew fake stories on another Twitter account <laughs> to see if he believed it. And he believed every time. He would just introduce me to all these journalists and I was just like, wow. Like, I made up stories about, you know, him being spied on by Gung Cha. <laughs> Gung Cha's a Taiwanese company, man. God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, you know, that's funny because my, my other uh, Australian friend, Davide, Davide Emilia, he, he actually was talking to me. He was joking, of course. He said, yeah, all, with all these uh, journalists, uh, um, you know, anti-China journalists attacking you, uh, maybe what I can, uh, you know, um, create a, we can create a fictitious Chinese person, uh, persona, and I will, you know, say, hey, I'm, I, I know personal details of Carl's eye and then feed them like ridiculous stories. <laughs> no, seriously, you can and they will believe you. Like the dumbest stories ever. And you can be uh, saying you're actually literally Carl Tsar, like the Tsar of Russia or something. You'll believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's so stupid. Um, and, you know, he, he's also got a lot of accusations about misconduct on campus, but we can't talk about that right now. He's just, um, 
it's just disgusting that you can basically be anti-China and make an entire career of it right now in Australia. Um, there, there, there were journalists that I knew in Beijing who used to be very moderate. And they came out on Twitter and told people to stop making up, you know, these theories about international students uh, being spies or karaoke bars being CCP bases and stuff. And the thing is, she got called out as being um, a CCP agent, even though she's like, like, a, like a white blonde woman. Um, wow. She's always said a lot of anti-Chinese things, like anti-government things. And the next few weeks, she suddenly changed 180% to 180 degrees to super anti-China to fit in because she was getting blackmailed to get fired. And, wow! Yeah. Wow! That's that's. I I mean I don't know where do you think this is going? I mean like I, I I like you know I the U.S. Uh, uh, national security establishment is pushing this uh, Indo-Pacific right <laughs> the 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 quad of democracies Japan oh, yes. Australia U.S. and and India to contain China and. And then, like, you know, there's talk. And, okay, there's where Aspie came in. You know, Aspie actually recently uh, got, they, they were got on hire by the Australian government, um, to, uh, basically as go-between to uh, facilitate the purchase of, uh, they recommended, I believe they recommended the purchase, purchase uh, of F- F-35s and also um, anti- uh, what is it? Um, anti-ship missiles to purchase anti-ship yes, missiles from yes. the United States. Like to do what? <laughs> I mean, like it's okay, too. Or to defend I mean, from as in that Utopia video to defend from China <laughs> for Chinese trade. I don't know. Exactly. It's like the most of the trade route of Australia is is you know shipping the Australian minerals to China. It's like well, why are you using anti-ship missiles? Uh, anti-ship, uh, yeah, anti-ship missile. You, you're gonna kill the the, the Australian. Uh, 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 tankers that's going to China, it's ridiculous. It, it, um, it doesn't make sense. Like, and, and, our, and our, we, we keep trying to pretend like, um, as though we're some kind of big power in Australia, we take our, ourselves very seriously. But in fact, we're just like an American colony. Like everything we do, ever since the 70s when Goth Whitlam was basically overthrown um, by the Americans for being too left wing, um, Australia didn't really have its own sort of foreign policy standing after that. And we've just been, um, our whole deal was to buy more weapons. It's sort of like Taiwan. We have to keep buying more weapons from America and we can't go any other, any other country, even if it means our biggest trade partner. So what's happening now is China's doing, you know, the winery probes in our Chinese, uh, Australian wine? No, what, what's that about? Um, so because uh, Australia keeps trying to do the China virus thing um, when it first started. So we've got to make China pay reparations to an investigation. Um, so Australia hit, uh, so trying to hit Australia back with a wheat, like a wheat um, barley tariff, and that was huge. That was like billions of dollars lost overnight uh, for Australian um, barley farmers. So there's all these protests. So you think it stopped there, right? Because so much of our economy requires like agriculture, mining, and all of China, that we keep going. And now they're hitting us on the wine part. And Australian wine, the main export, nearly all of it goes to China. And the stock price have tumbled like forty percent in the last few weeks. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's it just it's it, it is it is crazy because Australia has so much like its economic cooperation uh, with China has so much going for it, and and they're just shooting themselves in the foot to satisfy uh, the demands of 
of U.S. national security establishment. It's it's crazy, and it's and you know like you know uh, the the son of the the ex Australian Prime Minister uh, Turnbull, I think Alex uh, Turnbull. Yeah. Yes, he actually listens to my podcast. I I was surprised. Um, yeah. Really? Um, yeah, because he read a comments like yeah. you better not accuse these people of Falun Gong because Clive Hamilton's going to sue you. And I'm like, what? okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, oh, he, he he listened to your podcast, so I can't talk shit about him anymore. <laughs> oh, no, no, you can. I, I talk I talk all the crap about him. Like, um, <laughs> he, he tried to tell me that. Uh, anyway, he DM'd me after he started talking to you, right? And he's told me that you've got to watch out for, for um, Carl. He's committing genocide on the Uyghurs. What? And I'm like, how is Carl committing genocide? He's a podcaster. And he's like, look, man, Yeah. <laughs> And he, he's like, well, after he kills the, the Uyghurs, he's going to come after you. And I'm just like, um, okay. And I just kept going along with him. Um, oh, yeah. God. He, he's, he's such a tool. And he actually tried to dox uh, somebody. Um, a, a oh, Chi- I know who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She, she, he's trying to dox some Chinese-American lady uh, working in finance. It's, it's totally ridiculous. Like, it, it's totally ridiculous because... Um, he wrote some ridiculous tweet, um, and I I called out, came out for it, but I did not. I, I specifically did not refer to his own family connection, right? Because oh no, he was talking about um, uh, I know what it was because the U.S. was cracking down on the on the Chinese researchers mm. in United States in the other U.S. research institutions. So he he's saying yeah, if you have a any kind of ties to, um, you know, basically to China, to 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 China, Chinese state, you, you know, you should you should consider pack your bags and go home. Like this is, uh, uh, you know, U U S is no place for you. And and he wasn't saying that as like advice. He was just saying saying that as you know, get the fuck out of U S. You know, the U S is. I, I so I, I'm like, look. You are, uh, you, 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 it's like, who, who the fuck are you? You're not even American. You are, you, you yeah. are telling the Asian American, uh, it's, you know, you're, you're telling Chinese in America to get the fuck out when you're sitting yourself in Singapore. I mean, that doesn't make sense. And I, I refrain from making connection to his own family ties because he's married to a Chinese woman who yes. has, <laughs> actually has high level ties in, in China. Her, her, um, you know, his father-in-law is like some friends with Jiang Zemin, you know, like the oh, last, academic. Leader. yeah, yeah, last leader of, uh, and and he used to get catch a lot of flack for that in Australia. Yes, you know, a lot. They, they, he had to actually say, like, make write a whole article telling them that just because he's married to a Chinese person, he's not like you know a Chinese agent or whatever. I remember, it used to happen a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think he's uh, he's overcompensating. I mean, he's he's trying to. I think he's 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 also like doing the anti-China thing to kind of oh you know like look no I'm not I'm not uh, there's no way I'm uh, part. Yeah, mate, I'm pro Australian, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and this is what I found a tweet he, he DM'd me. He's like, dude, Carl, he put the Huey in the gas chamber as soon as he's done with the Uyghurs. He's awful, Carl. <laughs> sorry. And he, then, and I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, he's a hardcore Han nationalist. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I, I was like, oh, I, I don't know how a podcaster is going to be putting anyone in the gas chamber and why you would have an impetus to, you know, just, it's crazy. He thinks you're like some actual high level um, person in some government. And yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of people think seem to think away. You know, I have a we have the uh, <clears throat> Howard French, the former uh, big shot uh, New York Times reporter, and later the the professors of um, of journalism in Columbia. Uh, he, I think he's professor of Isabel Cacro, actually. <laughs> and, oh, and, no. Uh, yeah, he, he's the one that called me uh, a Chinese influence op without shred of evidence. Like when he got called out by other people, uh, he said he, he backtracked a little bit, but not really a full apology. He said, well, um, or actually, maybe I, I spoke in haze. You know, this is only my, my impression from from uh, reading the tweet, I, I of course there's no evidence. If you know, if this kind of evidence is even possible to obtain, but I wasn't really think. I don't know this individual. I don't. I wasn't really thinking about him, but more more along the lines of other people who tweet similar things. It's like so. Other in other words, you don't know me. <laughs> you, you know nothing about me. You have no evidence, and then you call me a Chinese influence op, which is a very serious thing in in U.S. today. You know, you call me a Chinese spy in Trump's America. It's like what the fuck, man? And you you are you are a professor of journalism. And and when I was telling that story with um, Isabel during Isabel interview, she jumped up and, and volunteered herself. Oh yeah yeah yeah, I went to Columbia too. I was like, oh my god. Okay. Oh my god, they are so obsessed. Like, is that like the most prestigious journalism school or something? She kept going it, on about it. Like, yeah, yeah. It's 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 like like some people actually commented on my YouTube. I said, like, man, Isabel need to realize she is doing the interview. The interview is not about her. <laughs> Why does she have to make everything about herself? Like Colombia. Oh, <laughs> when I was in Colombia, it's like Sean Rain. He posts every yeah. five minutes. He's from Harvard. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I get it, mate. Like. Uh, it's just so annoying. It, it's, it, it's it's common for like Chinese mother, Chinese moms or dads to talk about your their you know child school. They're like, yeah, my my child went to Tsinghua or something, but like I've never seen it like this. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we we should just have a you you should just come back to my show. We should just have a whole episode talking shit about people. <laughs> yeah, like definitely, like especially with what's been going on recently. Um. It's just absolutely crazy um, in Australia. It's just I'm just happy to be able to talk about this because at the moment, um, like I can't even go outside. There will be literally be some drunk guy going, "Fucking Chinese, get out of my country!" You know, just when just walking around, and apparently that's just what's meant to happen now. You know, you, you have like videos of Chinese people getting bashed, videos of Chinese people getting spat on, and it's such a hostile place. And then there was that report which said um, the Chinese pe- Chinese government said it's not unsafe in Australia for Chinese students. It's definitely true. And they started refuting it. You know, there's video footage a week earlier of two um, Singaporean Chinese students getting beat up by some white women. <laughs> yeah, they just yeah. gaslight. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know the, the the funny thing is at the same time you know we have. A story reported by New York Times uh, and Washington uh, Wall Street journals journalists that you know says, you know China is really the Chinese government is is uh, driving up xenophobia in China right like it's it's uh, yeah. putting fear in the in the expat community. I'm like okay I I I'm sure xenophobia exists in all society, but let's face it you know white people are not getting chased and beaten in China. Yeah, right. that that is not no, happening. No, they get the opposite usually, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 
I mean, it's it's just I'm just a lot of, a lot of the reporting on China is projection, you know, like the the, the 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 all the Western society, U.S. Australia included, when they report to Ch- about China, they project their own worst fears about themselves. Yeah, and, especially and that stuff on. about um, spreading around too many Chinese people. I mean, which population has spread from one continent to three or four continents? Chinese people haven't haven't like taken over three or four continents. It's the white people. <laughs> yeah, and and there was like um, the the thing about uh, oh sorry I come for, I lost my sort. I'm just too angry all the time. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We're, we're just talking shit. And like we, we sh- like I said, we should just you should come back and we just have like a like a whole episode of talking shit, and then we can have a have like a, a put a list right. We, we go like a like a. The Twitter, Twitter, we do like a Twitter personality review, right? We, we go, go through all these people that talk shit about, uh, about China and then, then, then we'll, we'll review their, their performance, their Twitter performance. I oh, think that, that's a great idea. I think talking about the most, um, you know, uh, interesting people like China Balding, um, James Palmer, all those people, very interesting. Yes, <laughs> yes, Kyle Bass. Yes, Kyle Bass. Uh, yes, yes. Gordon Chan, uh, Melissa Chan. Yes, our favorites. Yes. Like these people get like these people are the examples of failing to the top. I mean, like Gordon Chan, he's been freaking predicting the incoming collapse of China since two thousand and one. Nineteen years later, he's still invited on to CNN to talk about China. And and, yeah. and he's apparently a, a North Korea expert now too. He's you know he often get invited to to talk about North Korea. I'm like, wait, what what does he know about Korea? He's not Korean. He doesn't even speak Korean. It's like so he's just some lawyer. That yeah yeah he was uh yeah he was he was in some kind of invest yeah 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 he was originally he was uh, practicing Hong Kong and then. Uh, I think for a time in Shanghai, and then he wrote his fame. His claim to fame was his 2001 book, uh, "Incoming Collapse of China," which, he, by the way, he updates the uh, the collapse date every year. You know. <laughs> oh yes, I've seen that. It's it's hilarious. He's a, he's a meme in himself. Yeah. He's gonna yeah. be like 95 years old, and he's like, "Come on, it's coming next year, mate. Next year." He's just gonna keep going. He he's. I mean, at least um, you know, what's his that guy, the 2012 guy? He just did that one prediction. He updated once, but this guy does it every year. He's so sad. Yeah, and people still believe him. I mean, that just shows the hysteria because you can just yeah. say whatever you want and people will believe it. Like there was that Winnie the Pooh um, photo that was shown up on Twitter yesterday of a guy wearing Winnie the Pooh suit in the middle of like a party. And then someone literally said, commented underneath, it's like, oh my God, that guy's going to get arrested. Like he was being serious. <laughs> I was like, dude, he's not. He's in a, uh, yeah. Like I, so I went to China last year with a mate. Um, he's he's a white Aussie, yeah, and he believes that Peppa Pig is banned um, in China. And wow. so I'm like, I told him, no, it's not banned. Peppa Pig is a very popular show in China, very popular. And he went and got a tattoo of a Peppa Pig on his ankle. And he went to China and tried to like, you know, look really cool and rebel rebellious, and no one cared. <laughs> Everyone thought he was a fucking idiot. He's like, oh, it's actually not bad. I'm like, yeah, I told you, you fucking idiot. He's like, oh, damn it, I've got a pet of dick stuck in my ankle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, I, I wish. I hope this. Uh, you know, as soon as they have the vaccine available, I'm gonna. As soon as they open up the flight again from Bali, I'm gonna. I want to, you know, just hop back a uh, trip back to China. I want to like. 
you know, do do a video log, you know, like, you know, maybe go to Xinjiang, right? And, and to, yes, to... I'm definitely thinking going there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually talk about talking about with Xiang Yu, right? You you know him is the, the I love Taiwan. that guy, man. But he's been I don't know why he's got banned. I think he's too harsh on people sometimes on Twitter. Um, well, this is what happened. <laughs> I know I, I know I know who reported him too. Um, so he because this is the thing: people will get you when the people are out to get you. They will take your like watch for any thing in your tweets to use against you. So he was talking about World War Two. Japanese colonization in Taiwan, oh. right? And he used the term Jap. That's how they got him. Are you they, serious? Yes. Ugh. That's how they got him. There's a there's a guy called Jung Stone. Uh, he he's this weird reply guy that just lurk around and like freaking um, you know, I blocked his ass <laughs> a long time ago. Oh, so he, I know I know who he is, John Stone. He's a Melbourneian okay. um, cyclist guy actually. We uncovered his real identity. Oh really? Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, he uh, made a mistake. It was actually uh, by uh, Tom Fowdy who uncovered him. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Um, anyway, ever since that happened, he he's posted a lot less because uh, you know he's old and he's, he can't just be very crass anymore. Yeah. yeah. Ah, that makes sense. But Jung, I mean, he's quite proud that he he uh, reported Xiang uh, Yu and he you know he showed the, his reports. Um, and 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 Xiang Yu tried to uh, appeal many times, but you know Twitter said no, no. That's you use a racist term. You're permanently banned. You know that's why he's not coming back. Yeah, yeah. That's that sucks. I didn't know John Stone was part of that. <sighs> yeah, I mean that's why I try to be careful. You know the, the, the language I use. I because I know a lot of people. I have a target painted on my back. <laughs> I know a lot of people. Yeah, I, I try to be very neutral with my term. As, as that's why they probably think I sound like you on Twitter. Because um, <laughs> I don't want to get banned. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that's funny. Because I saw that tweet. Uh, somebody accused you of just like me. And, and you said you are, you are Carl's ass out. Uh, I was cracking up when I saw that. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I replied to you. I said, yeah, I, whenever I, 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 I do my uh, steel Muslim gig, I put on a thick Australian <laughs> accent. <laughs> well, you're interviewing yourself right now. So. Yes. <laughs> Doing yeah. it at the Kung Sung Gun. Brian Kern. <laughs> yes, it's 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 actually all my shows are just me. <laughs> Everyone, all the Twitter accounts of China, bro, China accounts are you. That's how you get yeah. so much money. All every fifty cents, every tweet, just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh it's man, okay, it's it's getting late. Um, it's we're coming to one hour twenty five mark. Yeah, but I, I definitely that's want that's you time. to come back. Uh, it's because there's so much to talk about, and and I think this uh. This new Cold War 2.0, uh, I think it's just beginning. I, I think we're, there's, <laughs> we will be the witness as the drama unfolds, uh, for better or worse. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so let's definitely keep in touch. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm telling you, man, we should do an episode just, uh, just shit talking people. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> personality review. It'll be my pleasure. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Anyway, um, thanks for having me on, Carl. Uh, anytime. Yeah. 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 Lao Tia. Any, anytime. Come back. Lao <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll catch you, mate. Yeah. Okay. Bye bye.